what we do here is go back, 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 back. And welcome in to episode Nintendo 64 of the Two and a Half Marks podcast. Boo, David. And as always, I am joined by, because I am the host and I'm speaking now, I am joined by my friends <laughs> Angelo Inglisa and Jake Long as we rewatch, relive, and remember a different wrestling pay-per-view every single week. And this week, we got the whole band back together, all three of us, me, Jake, and Angelo. After Jake was AWOL last week, never forgiving him for that. Sergeant AWOL. It was a good show. We had a good time without him. We had a lot of fun, and he can go screw himself. Um, and we're right back at it, baby. We're right back into later period WCW, my favorite period to cover on this podcast. And we have a very unique uh, event <laughs> We've got WCW Road Wild 99 from the Sturgis Motorcycle Rally. Just, again, a very unique event, very unique setting for a wrestling pay-per-view. I don't think the show was good at all, but uh, still a very, very interesting show to watch. And I kind of enjoyed the the vibe of it, even though, I mean, I, I can only imagine, like, the actual people in the crowd probably have horrible opinions on everything in life but it was cool when they revved their bikes i enjoyed that david if you i might could have be- rev my bike whenever you did that intro i would have david you might be the host but the only reason why you have a podcast is because i'm willing to record it and edit it and upload it yeah but you can't host it because you, you you're, you're terrible at it that's not so true because i have hosted it before i have yeah. one host to my belt out of the 64 I, I, i'm the one that can't host and it was and i never it will was it was not it did not hold a candle to what I do. I'm the I'm the Mikesman on this podcast. I'm the one who has the gift of gab, and you you people would be lost without me. David so. David is Paul Heyman. Angelo is Michael McGillicuddy. <laughs> I thought you were gonna That's give the me comparison Bischoff. I, I thought you were gonna give me Bischoff. No, oh, you are no, not. Bischoff, Bischoff is alright. Bischoff could cut a promo. You could say this. Eddie, Angelo, <laughs> the thing I've always really liked, Angelo is a guy that, and, and if you watch, if you ever watch him cut a promo, like you'll know exactly what I mean. Angelo talking reminds me a lot of Eddie Edwards cutting a promo. Every time Eddie Edwards cuts a promo, and like, no, no disrespect to Eddie Edwards, who's a really good wrestler, but like every time Eddie Edwards cuts a promo, I'm always like, this is in the exact same cadence and like voice inflection that Angelo would cut this promo. <laughs> That's actually perfect. Well, um, I, I can be compared to a TNA world champion. You know, uh, there's worse things. The first foreigner to ever win pro wrestling. No, is GHC world championship. Angelo. There we go. Uh, first foreigner. Yeah. yeah. The, the content of this pay-per-view was uh, less than stellar. Uh, you could argue that this was the straw that broke the camel's back. Cause before this at bash of the beach, uh, they had 13,000 people there. Here, obviously, it's outside. It's kind of unique. Uh, 5,500 is the official total, according to Wikipedia. And then after this, it's Fall Brawl 1999, which we have had on the show before, where Vince Russo and Hulk Hogan, you know, all that fun stuff. That was at 8,000. And I'm pretty sure they never eclipsed 10,000 after that. So this is the first pay-per-view that does not meet 10,000 in attendance. And and it's it's a five thousand person crowd. Obviously, it's in Sturgis, South Dakota. Like it's it's a unique thing, 
but it was also 5,000. And th- there's a reason why this was the last Road Wild was because they basically did this promo be- or they did this pay-per-view because Eric Bischoff liked motorcycles and liked going to the rally to ride every it, year. Yes. And he wanted to go to the rally, but was like, hey, like we can just have a show here too. So it's like an excuse for me to go uh, pretend to be a badass on my hog. And then on my like, they would do this show and they did this a few times and they wouldn't show like it was non-paid crowd completely. They made no money off of gate. Like they let all these bikers in for free. And then they realized that there was absolutely zero economic sense in having a pay-per-view in South Dakota and not charging for it for the gate. So they stopped doing it. But, you know, so this is the last road wild and there is a reason for that. Fantastic. That's uh, the more you know about history. But it did have a cool vibe, though. I like the having the motorcycles around the ring, uh, them rev- revving it during promos or during the match. It was cool. It was definitely a very unique thing to watch at home. Not sure it translates to, you know, the fact that it didn't make money and the fact that you are wrestling outside, which is its own unique experience. But eh, it was fun watching. That was the best part about it. Yeah. The- I think that one of the best things is too, there's like, so like at the Sturgis bike rally every year, they always have like, like concerts and stuff like that. And I'm willing to bet you any amount of money that whoever performed there in 1998, at least one of them has performed in the last three years there as well. Because like the people that go there, they're into the, like only one type of music and it's like Southern rock. And they just have, there's only like seven Southern rock things. So like, I, I they- don't know. <laughs> I feel like Buck Cherry would go like they would, they would draw. That's um, uh, wrong cherry. It's actually Blackstone Cherry. Oh, okay. Because they actually cherry? they actually were there this year. Uh, I oh. think uh, I think Saliva was as well. And I know you, that Saliva performed there in the nineties. I, I mean, I know you just saw Saliva recently, and they, uh, they were they were fucking awesome too. They, like the only the only thing they didn't do they didn't do I Walk Alone, which like if you're gonna go to a fucking Saliva show and they don't and they don't play Batista's theme song. Then what is the point of seeing saliva in 2021? What is the point? I have no idea. Man, I have no idea, honestly. Man, man saliva, huh? That must have been the spit. Um, anyway. So <laughs> it sounds like we're basically ready to remember some guys. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. Let's get to some mother effing guys. Let's remember some guys. So it is August 14th, 1999. We are, as we stated, at the Sturgis Motorcycle Rally in Sturgis, South Dakota. We've got probably an estimated total. I don't know if this is like, again, an official total because they didn't take, you know, they didn't like take tickets or anything for this. Again, the the crowd was not paid. It's like an estimated maybe 5,500 people, a bunch of idiots on their bikes revving, revving their Harleys, having a good time. Um... And I love the, first off, the poster for the show where it's like the road going <laughs> into Goldberg's mouth. Love it. Really, graphic design is my passion. <laughs> <laughs> Hang in the Louvre, man. It's wonderful. And we have, for Road Wild 1999, a big main event. It is Kevin Nash taking on Hulk Hogan. With their careers on the line, the loser must retire, and I'm sure will actually retire, and they won't just, you know, fuck us. They're not just going to, like, 
do some stupid bullshit with this. Yeah, whenever you say big, do you mean like big as in like both guys were large men? Yes, they both okay. were very, very large. I like how, um, and, you know, we'll get to this later, but Michael Buffer announces Kevin Nash as like the greatest big man wrestler in uh, wrestling history. When it's like, well, like Hulk Hogan is maybe like two inches shorter than Kevin Nash. So like, is he not a big man wrestler? Does Hulk Hogan not. not count as a big man wrestler? I heard that's why Vince let him go the first time. Is he just said, you're too short, Hogan. Yeah. He wanted to push giant Gonzalez. That's a real man. Uh, anyway, we've got, uh, again, it's it's a cool, you know, it's a, it's a very cool setting for wrestling pay-per-view. Very unique. Not what we're used to seeing at all. We have an outdoor ring that is basically surrounded by a bunch of guys on their bikes. It's just all dudes on motorcycles, like, surrounding the ring in, like, every direction. It's a pretty wild scene. Uh, they've got the ramp made up to look like a, a highway. Uh, it's a nice, big, long ramp outside, and we get some pretty cool-looking, like, helicopter shots of just, like, the, the crowd and the scenery. It's, again, very unique, very interesting setting for a pro wrestling show. Um and then they cut to the commentary booth, and it's Tony Schiavone, <laughs> and Bobby Heenan, and Mike Tanay, and they're all like, well, we're at the biker rally, so uh, I'm Tony Schiavone wearing a jean jacket and sunglasses. It's like, dude, come on. You know? You're not, you're not going to look cool. What a fit. Let's talk about who looks more like a gimp throughout this, this episode, okay? Because my money's on a guy later, but, like, Tony Schiavone's up there. Tony Schiavone and Mike Tanay. Mike Tanay, who I love, but is like an old dorky man. Wearing <laughs> 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 a jean jacket and sunglasses, trying to look like a cool biker guy. Shivani's glasses and the hat, man. I, uh, the moment they popped up on screen, I literally started laughing out loud. It was, was just too funny. <laughs> it was so funny. It was so funny. Um, and I, I guarantee it was not their idea to dress that way, 100%. <laughs> um, and we start out we have a few guys making their debuts on the two and a half marks podcast on the show. I'm pretty sure this nope. has got to be our first. It's, is this not our first ICP match? No, they were on. No, we uh, have had them. What's it called? Have we, have we had an ICP match? Two th- it was like two- where they wrestle? Yes. Uh, well, no, they yes. were ringside. They were ringside. They weren't they were wrestling. Ringside. I think this is the first insane clown posse match. That would be correct. Wrestled. I believe yeah. Fall Brawl 2000 or Bash of the Beach 2000, yeah. one of those 2000 pay-per-views. I think they were there and they got involved and did some stuff, but they didn't actually go work a match. They did some spots, uh, so I'm pretty sure... Uh, no, they did. Vi- I'm pretty sure Violent J did like a splash from the top rope. Yeah, I want to say he did like a leg drop or something. Uh, something like that. Uh, but it is the a six-man tag match, and it is the Insane Clown Posse. Taking on and and Vampiro taking on the team. And this is a very, very high power level team right here. Eddie Guerrero, Rey Mysterio and Billy Kidman. Uh, So, you know, which uh, team is going to be carrying the fucking match here. Uh, They just (laughs) suck these guys with three of the best wrestlers that they have in the company. And, you know, here is the big question going into this. We have had a few vampiro matches on this show is this the first one that's going to be even remotely watchable in any way and i I feel like we've had 
Again, Maybe, I don't know. Have we always shit on Vampiro? Yes. I feel like we've had a oh. lot of bad Vampiro shit. Again, the only one that was any ever good was that one. I forget, again, I forget which specific WCW 2000 pay-per-view it was, but it was the one where they discussed the legendary rivalry between Billy Kidman and Vampiro. And oh, that, yeah. the Kidman-Vampiro match was the only decent wrestling match on the entire card. That's true. I, I do remember that now. But we've had some real Vampiro trash on here. And the answer is, well, it's okay. It's all right. It's fine. It's fine. Um, so it's – we're outdoors. Really, it looks like – the first thing is, like, it looks hot as fuck there for the wrestlers. Like, yeah. <laughs> everybody is, like, drenched in sweat. In the first half of the show, especially when it's still daylight out, we get later on – by the main event, it's basically nighttime. But the first half of the show, it is still very much they are wrestling out in the hot sun in August. And uh, it looks just hot as balls there. And everyone's sweating. Um, and, you know, it's the, the faces are on top early on doing a bunch of cool moves. Uh, you have ICP and Vampiro working heel. They uh, cheap shot Eddie in the corner and they help him take over. Um Eddie gets a hope spot where he does a cool step up Hurricane Rana on Vamp, but he gets cheap shotted again, gets beaten down. Eventually, the uh, things start to pick up. Eddie hits a superplex on Shaggy uh, from the ICP, tags in Ray. Ray flies around everywhere, hits Violent J with a lion salt, but uh, Raven, who is accompanied, uh, I, I didn't mention this, but Raven is ringside with Vampiro and ICP. He gets involved. He uh, haven't had a lot of Raven stuff on this podcast. We have not. Uh, no, unfortunately. He gets involved on the outside, throws Ray into the steps. Vampiro hits Ray with the Vampiro spike on the floor. Vamp gets him back into the ring, just tosses him everywhere, hits him with this like release power bomb where he throws him across the ring. ICP gets in there. They beat Ray up some more. Um, Ray hit comes back, hits a split leg moonsault. Tags in Kidman. Kidman gets the hot tag. All the baby faces hit, start hitting a bunch of uh, moves everywhere. Uh, Ray hits a Bronco Buster, hits a Piscato to the outside. Uh, Eddie then hits a Piscato, and then it ends up being uh, Kidman and Violent J. Kidman hits the shooting star press. Baby faces win the match 12 minutes and 22 seconds. It was a fine match. I didn't realize uh, going in that this would actually be one of the better ones. Yeah, and, but it definitely is. Uh, yeah, it definitely is. The Again, the, uh, one of my notes here was the Kidman-Vampiro rivalry, which we already got that joke out of the way. But Eddie looks like a million bucks, man, when he comes out there. The guy looks like an absolute star. Uh, unmasked Ray just never hit a note. Kidman's always been solid, but not like that. But Eddie comes out, and man, that guy, you know, looks like a guy going to put butts in seats, future world champion. And, you know, Vampiro, again, this was – he's the one professional wrestler on the team, but ICP holds their own. Uh, Vampiro yeah. does some really cool stuff with Ray, just manhandling him and throwing him around the ring and outside. Really kind of cool stuff there. And I, I say this, this has to be the ICP rule. If you are a non-wrestler, or even if you are a wrestler maybe, if you aren't as good as the ICP in the ring, you should not be in the ring. The new rule, the ICP rule. Hey Angela, I'll give you uh, I'll give you points if you can tell me what Shaggy's full stage name is. Next question, David, can you tell me? It's Shaggy Two Dope. 
Shaggy too dope. Listen. So oh, David, was that it? Was that all you were looking yes. for? Yeah, just Shaggy too dope. Oh, I knew that. So David and I have long talked about the concept of living the gimmick, right? Yes. And you want to talk about a dude who lives the gimmick or dudes? Violent J and Shaggy too dope live the gimmick. Like. Violent J is literally dying of a of heart disease, and they've already announced they're going on one more tour while he's actively dying. <laughs> he has said, "Like I have like two years to live, and that entire time I'm just going to be touring." Yeah, like, imagine going to a show a year and a half from now, and he's like, like just like he's out like, there on like I- IVs and shit. <laughs> I, he is actively dying, and he's like, "Hell no, I'm not going to stop doing meth." Are you serious? <laughs> listen he's been around too long to be doing meth no i mean this was fine or not fine i I thought it was less than fine but i love it i love listening to you guys talk about shitty pay-per-views because you'll talk about a match like this and be like yeah it was fine like this is a pay-per-view you paid money but you would have been cool paying fifty dollars to watch this match i would be pissed if i spent money on it yeah exactly we're watching it for whatever 4.99 a month or whatever peacock is now like no I would have been pissed back then. Oh, no. I mean, imagine. I mean, you know, we're very spoiled right now because, oh, God. <laughs> you know, we've gotten, you know, the WWE Network and now Peacock. And it's like, you. I mean, to buy every pay-per-view 10 years ago, it would be several hundred dollars every year. And now we can watch this shit for, you know, I mean, like, it... 120 like bucks a like year. This, yeah, I mean, you know, okay, whatever, yeah. whatever Peacock is. I mean, Peacock, I think, is less expensive than the network was, which was $10 yeah. a month. I think it's what? It's like 6 or something a month? I don't remember. Yeah, uh, Peacock's like four ninety nine. Yeah, so it's even cheaper. So it's like, you know, if if something really sucks like this, and, and this doesn't suck. Like, this match is genuinely fine. I mean, the baby faces all do some cool moves. You know, obviously, Eddie's great. Ray's great. I love Billy Kidman. You know, the the heels hold their own. I thought ICP was perfectly fine as workers. They came up. It's perfectly credible. Um, it's a solid match. But, like, if something really sucks, it's no skin off my ass because it's like, well, I'm paying five bucks for this, whatever. Right. Whereas, yeah, like, back then, you know, I'm not mad about this match. But, like, the rest of the show, it's like I wasted $50 for this. And that's in 1999 money. $50 then was, like, like three hundred dollars now because of inflation like i mean that's that's nothing uh but you know like i had you know back back in 1999 to buy a pay-per-view you had to drive up to your cable provider's uh physical office with a chest full of silver dollars (laughs) (laughs) could you david would you be comfortable paying fifty dollars to watch a match where vampiro is like the worker of one of the team like like the workhorse of one of the teams. Fifty dollars, brother. I uh, think that's a stretch. I'm just gonna say I think it's a stretch. Yeah. So like, yeah, we're obviously very spoiled. Like, yes, this match is fine. It's better than like most of the stuff we'll watch after this. Um, but like, yeah, I, this is definitely something where it's like it, it, this is all that I'm getting for fifty dollars. Like. And this match is like one of the top two probably of the night. It's, yeah, it's not worth my money. And not to de- again, not trying to talk too much shit on this match because it is genuinely a fine match. There's nothing wrong with it. Uh, but it's like if this is the second best match on the show, come Ugh. on. Yeah. Uh, 
But big respect to the ICP, though. I mean, you know, you watch them wrestle in the ring, and they they're perfectly credible. And I know that they were guys that were always really into wrestling. I know Mike Tanay was telling the story on commentary when they like first started making money. Like the first thing that they did with their money was they bought a wrestling ring just to <laughs> fuck around it. And they were involved in wrestling for a long time. And they you watch them in the ring, and it's like they're not great or anything, but they definitely are like the level of your like typical, you know, like kind of solid like indie wrestler level. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like they they are just kind of straight up working a match. They're doing it pretty competently. And I think rarely for guys who are celebrity wrestlers, they're like fine being the heels and working like the conventional heel style where you're kind of right. doing the cheap shots and you're just getting the heat throughout the match. And then the baby faces come back on you and you eat the pit. I feel like that's very rare for guys who are celebrity wrestlers to actually do that. Oh, yeah. yeah to, especially to be a heel, yeah. yeah. I'll, t- I'll tell you what, man. Their work stuff looked better than Trick Williams on NXT 2.0. Ooh. Yes. Dude, 100%. <laughs> yeah. Legitimately. Um, so, yeah. I mean, like, it's, 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 it's impressive that, like, yeah. I mean, I think that those are guys that, like, genuinely came off. Like, yeah, these are guys that obviously they're not great or anything. But they know how to wrestle, so that's that's perfectly that's perfectly good. I mean, I can't I can't shit on it. So uh, next up, this is a match that we can shit on a bit, though. Uh, tag team title match. We have Angelo's boys, the Jersey Triad. Uh, Chris Canyon, R.I.P. I know what is that? This coming week is going to be the Chris Canyon Dark Side of the Ring. Uh, yes, I believe Ooh, so. Is it really? Yeah. Rest in peace to Canyon. Um. And Bam Bam Bigelow, also rest in peace. Uh, they are defending their tag team titles against a reunited Harlem Heat, Booker T and Stevie Ray. And uh, we get on, we start out uh, Jersey Triad. They are heels here. Canyon gets on the mic and cuts a promo calling the fans rednecks. And the crowd responds by uh, like angrily revving their bikes at him, which I thought was actually a really, you know, again, it's like this is the only place you will see that, uh, like this specific show. But I thought it was kind of cool, very keeping in the theme. And it was noted that by uh, uh, Dave Meltzer in the Wrestling Observer newsletter from the week after that they had Canyon come out and cut this promo shitting on the fans because they wanted to make sure that the Jersey triad was going to get heat because in the past at road wilds, the crowd would be really racist and would boo black wrestlers, even if they were the baby faces. Oh my God. So they wanted to like, Oh no. Even more due diligence to make sure that they would see Harlem heat as the baby faces here. Uh, So you get this Canyon, you get this Canyon promo. Again, it's just a little short promo where he says all the fans are rednecks and blah, 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 whatever. Um, and then we get this match. A Harlem Heat get in there. Everyone starts brawling right away. Um, and then it cools off. And then we just get a lot of standing around. Um, we get the uh, the face-off between the two big bowls of the match, Stevie Ray and Bam Bam Bigelow. And people are excited when these two big guys face off. The fans are, like, revving their engines at their face-off, which I thought was pretty cool. And then they just stare at each other. And do nothing. <laughs> and uh. then Canyon tags him. And then, like, Bam Bam basically does nothing in this match. And what little him and Stevie Ray do with each other is just awful. Like, their timing is off. It's like, 
I don't know, for guys who were real veterans of the sport by that point. Um, it was just really bad. Very plodding pace of this match, again, especially when Stevie and Bam Bam are in. When Booker and Canyon are in there, it heats up a little bit. Um, Canyon, uh, Booker goes for the axe kick, but then Bam Bam low bridges him out of the ring, and then we slow it all the way back down. Uh, Canyon hits a uh, top rope guillotine leg drop on Booker for a near fall. Uh, Booker comes back with a power bomb, and then Bam Bam and Stevie come back in, and all the excitement that has again been built up is drained immediately out of the match. Third member of the Jersey Triad, who we will see again later, Diamond Dallas Page. He runs in, uh, but he and Bam Bam wind up colliding. Booker hits a missile drop kick, and Stevie Ray gets the pin on Bam Bam Bigelow to win the titles eight-time now. WCW World Tag Team Champions Harlem Heat in 13 minutes and six seconds. Uh, like... I don't know, man. This is you're gonna hear me say a lot of the same stuff about these matches, like the first like three, because I thought they were all very much the the same. But like David said, you could tell they were like just trying to fill the time. But that's it. They were like, we have to make this, we have to make this work. Yeah. The only the only notable thing about this match, did you guys catch the line by Bobby Heenan? Which one? About emotional wounds. I I didn't write that one down. He said, emotional wounds, wounds don't heal. Just ask my seventh wife. Oh, yeah, I did get and I, I was like, yeah. I was like, oh, okay, that's cool. So, like, what did you do to your wives, bro? Like, A, why were there seven? B, why do they have emotional wounds? What? It's funny, and it's funny when I just looked it up. Bobby Heenan was married to the same woman for uh, 39 years. <laughs> <laughs> That's even more perfect. Oh, man. Never changed the brain. Uh, Yeah, there's not much about this match other than, you know, it's time filler. Stevie Ray looks large, but he has the same problem that a lot of large dudes have is that he can't sell anything, period. Like, whenever he gets hit, he's just like, okay, you're going to hit me, and he doesn't move. So, not great. I will say, though, the guillotine leg drop by Canyon was, like, a high spot in this match. It was really cool, very unique-looking move. But outside of that... <sighs> not good. Yeah, no. I mean, the, the only time, the only periods of this match where it's watchable is when you have Canyon and Booker T in there. And yeah. I mean, Canyon is a guy that everyone is always respected as a worker a lot, a guy who was very innovative, and, uh, you know, a lot of people have been stealing his stuff for a long time, as they should. He was he was great. And, but, like, you know, there's two other guys in this match, and we get too much of the other two guys. I, I just thought really the thing that it like just epitomizes what this match was like. Again, and I mentioned it, Stevie Ray and Bam Bam get into the match at the beginning. And it's like the two big badass dudes, right? And they're staring each other down. And the crowd's excited to see these two, you know, big beefy men bumping meat, you know? And then they just stare at each other. And then they don't do anything. And then they tag out. <laughs> and it's like, all right, well, that was great. This match is going great. So next up, uh, we have a six-man tag match. And I loved the uh, promo package for this match for one reason. So it's the West Texas Rednecks led by Kurt Hennig taking on the team of uh, Perry Saturn, Shane Douglas, and Dean Malenko. Um, And there is a promo line in this promo package where uh, Kurt Henning is shit-talking Perry Saturn, and he says, and I quote, 
You call yourself Saturn, but I think you're from that other planet, that planet called Uranus. Oh! You got him. Great line by Hennig. Um, Again, it is the West Texas Redneck team of Barry Windham, Bobby Duncan Jr., and the uh, Redneck from Minnesota, Kurt Hennig. (laughs) He was from Minnesota. From Robbinsdale, Minnesota, Kurt Hennig, taking on Perry Saturn, uh, Shane Douglas, Dean Malenko. Um, and of course, we get the greatest entrance music in the history of WCW. Rap is crap. It's back, baby. <laughs> Rap is crap. It's the greatest, just, you know, one of the best parts of like 99 WCW. Just a thing that they. They were supposed to be heels for this, and then they got so over because the song that they made was accidentally catchy and everyone loved it. And, you know, it's it's restarting the cycle for me. Every, like, eight months, I accidentally hear the song Rap is Crap, and then it's stuck in my head for about seven and a half months. And now the cycle has begun again. Um, so, yeah. Uh West Texas Rednecks and uh, Douglas Saturn Malenko. Uh, there's a lot of talk about apparently they're feuding over something to do with some country singer named Chad Brock. Um, who I don't know who that is. Don't know who he is. Um, and I have no memory of him whatsoever, but apparently they're like the, re- the announcers are talking about him a lot. And I have no idea. It's completely going over my head. Um, and, you know, this is it's it's a match. Um, I really just mentally could not get into this match at all. I'll completely admit, um, kind of sloppy. Doesn't seem to really be a discernible story to it. Perry Saturn. Uh, this is officially a very big uh, Perry Saturn podcast. We have historically been a pro pro Perry Saturn podcast. Does some cool suplexes. Uh, Shane Douglas gets in. Gets beaten up for a real long time. Perry Saturn gets the hot tag. Dean Malenko doesn't really do a whole lot in this match, which is shame because I love watching him wrestle. Um, we get a spot at the towards the end where uh, uh, Kendall Wyndham gets in there, takes a shot at Malenko with the bull rope and the cowbell. Uh, but uh, Shane Douglas sends him packing, and then Perry Saturn hits a very sloppy-looking Death Valley driver and gets the pin, and the babyfaces win the match in 10 minutes and 57 seconds. So, one of my biggest notes for this is that Dean Malenko is out here looking like Angelo at an average height convention. (laughs) Wow! Like I just like I wouldn't have made a joke about it, but like I was watching it and I was like, this is so stark that like he's clearly a foot and a half shorter than everybody else in this match. Wow. It was just insane. Other than wow. that, I had the same notes as the other matches. Um I didn't really care. This was like a tag match that happened. Give me a second after a cover. <laughs> God damn. Would you like some water for that burn? I would. I mean, now, if, if we give the national average of 5'10", I am only two inches shorter. You have been better off using our dorm room where all of you were 6'3", and then there's me who's 5'8". Yeah, uh, but it sounds a lot better if I call you shorter than average, you see? 
I'm just barely shorter than average. Thank you very much. I'm still in the top, like, maybe 60% of average height. Listen, you're still mommy's big boy. Don't worry. Angelo, if Angelo lived in 19th century France, he <laughs> would be like LeBron James. Thank you, David. So it's all about context. Exactly. Uh, yeah, this was a, another really kind of bad match where there isn't a story, like you said, David. There's a lot of bad refing here. Like, the ref just is openly ignorant and just pick and chooses when things happen. And I'll, I'll talk more about that later. Uh, but there is a very nice little uh, Bobby line here. Did you guys catch it? I did not catch this one. Send, a, send it, send it, Angelo. <clears throat> if you want to send a message to Dusty, you have to write it on a chili dog. <laughs> yes. Uh, but yeah, that was a, that was a match. But I will say I, I will say this for Saturn. Saturn comes around twenty years later, and he's a much bigger deal. But because he's still in the nineties, and they're still having a bunch of guys who are six three, six four, six five, and he's like six foot. You know, he can he tends to look small, even with yeah. the Malenko next to him. Absolutely agreed with you. Perry Saturn comes around 15, 20 years later. He's a darling, and same with Chris Canyon. Oh yeah. Um. Probably same with Malenko as well, although Malenko was always a, a very, very, you know, pretty, like, relatively for a cruiserweight, a pushed, featured guy at WCW, so you can't, you know, you could always complain a little bit, but, like, he was a guy that was featured a lot. Short King Perry, energy from Malenko. Perry Saturn and Malenko, or Perry Saturn and Canyon especially are guys that, if they come along later, are much bigger deals. Um, and maybe have the chance, like Two Cold Scorpio, to be the indie darlings of the fucking century. It's still just insane. Yeah, young yeah. guy, too cold Scorpio. I mean, it just you wonder when he's going to get his break. Yeah. I've been watching this up-and-coming guy on a GCW recently by the name of Too Cold Scorpio. I really like his work. I think he's very big things ahead for him. Yeah, probably a real young guy, right? Yeah, I, I, I haven't seen him before. So, I mean, I'm, I'm very interested in his stuff. So, next up, we have a match between Buff Bagwell and Ernest the Cat Miller. Um, and some interesting backstory on this match. According to Dave Meltzer in the Wrestling Observer, they got into a fist fight backstage before this match. Basically, Cat was booked to go over, and Buff was pissed off about it because Buff felt like, you know, basically every single, like, Nitro leading up to this he had been beaten up and left laying and he was sick and, you know, he felt like he was looking like a chump. So he lobbied and politicked and bitched and eventually was able to get the, uh, you know, uh, his buddy Kevin Nash helped him get it changed uh, to him going over. And uh, so Buff is pissed backstage that Cat was going over and he's politicking. Ernest the Cat Miller is pissed off that Buff is politicking. And apparently for the fact that, and I don't remember this, that Buff Bagwell had cut a promo while in blackface not that long before. Yo, what? Wait, what? Understandably, and I'm going to have to do a little bit more research on this, but Meltzer does mention that uh, uh, Buff Bagwell apparently did a blackface promo before that. And so Cat is understandably pissed off about that as well. Oh, yeah? And so they get into a fist fight backstage like five, ten minutes before this match goes on, and... Uh, Ernest the Cat Miller, legitimate karate guy, beat his ass. Um, and then they go out and they do this match. Um, so it is the karate man, Ernest the Cat Miller, uh, coming out with Sonny Ono. 
Um, he tries to cut a promo, is completely drowned out by the revving of their engines. You cannot hear anything he says. Uh, Buff comes out to answer the one of the eternal questions that we are always asking ourselves. Does Buff have the stuff? Uh, we will find out. I would say he does. That's just me. Uh, they, you know, this match takes forever to start because they're basically grabbing the mic back and forth at each other and Cat is getting mad at the crowd and then Buff is cutting a promo telling him to kiss his ass and blah, blah, blah. Eventually, Cat gets back in the ring. Loud pussycat chants from the crowd in Sturgis. They stand around at each other for a while after the bell rings. Um, uh, Buff does his uh, strut a bunch of times. Cat hits him with some of his karate kicks. We have Sonny Ono getting involved in the outside multiple spots where he's choking Buff on the ropes. And then the finish comes after, again, a lot of standing around. When uh, Sonny Ono accidentally hits Ernest the Cat Miller with his briefcase, Buff rolls him up and gets the pin. Seven minutes and 24 seconds. Yeah. Again, I mean, what I don't know. What are you supposed to say about these matches? Like, they just happened. They they went out, they they wrestled, and then they're they not, left. They're not In egregiously case, yeah. bad. They're just, you right. know, they're like there. In this case, they don't even really wrestle. Yeah. Like, this isn't really a wrestling match. And, and, I mean, at least I thought the opening promo was kind of fun. Like the trading back and forth, like with the motorcycles revving up and stuff. But I don't know. I did like that they called Buff a young up and comer. Yeah. It's like Buff Bagwell's been in WCW for 10 fucking years. <laughs> it's, 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 it's literally the jokes we make about that we just made about too cold. Like, yeah. <laughs> Yes. This young up-and-comer up Buff Bagwell, who, let me look up how old he was. I think he was near 40. I, he oh, my God, was he really? 1999, he was 39 years old. Is he still alive? Have we talked about this before? Uh, yes. Actually, no, I was wrong. I, I did the math wrong. He was 29 years old. So he is still relatively young. He debuted in WCW when he was 21. He got there young. Yeah, Marcus Alexander uh, Bagwell, man. But, What's he up to nowadays? Do we know uh, I think he's been in a lot of uh, legal trouble recently. Oh, no. Um, yeah. Did he get like, canceled? Not that I know of. I think he's just been in a lot of... I think he's just a guy who's kind of fallen on hard times. You know what I oh, mean? Oh, yeah. Uh, Richard Hatch-esque? Uh, that's a, that's a deep cut for those of you that care. I don't think that he did tax fraud. I think he did more mundane <laughs> crimes like DUI and that kind of oh. sad stuff. Uh, as, yeah, as recently as May 22nd, 2021, he was arrested in Cobb County, Georgia for five charges. They include speeding, hit and run, giving a false name, address, or birthday to law enforcement officers. Listen, if you ever take a trip down to Cobb County, Georgia, you're going to be serving hard time. Big Boss Man uh, theme song reference from WWF. Listen, don't do don't do crimes in Cobb County, Georgia, because Big Boss Man will brutalize you with a nightstick. Uh, but yeah, Jeez. Uh, yes, it just seems like a guy that's fallen on some hard times, and uh, you know, I hope I hope Buff Buff is doing okay now. But yeah, this is you know that's the one thing. Whenever I watch Buff Bagwell, like. I just always struggle to understand what is Buff Bagwell's character. You know what I mean? (laughs) 
I just yeah, feel like yeah. Buff Bagwell's character is like he's got the stuff. He's buff. He's got the stuff. But like, it's like he's. What is the stuff? I, Elaborate I, I, on the I'm stuff. I'm trying to put it into words. Like, I feel like he's kind of like a movie parody of what like of a professional wrestler. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like if they were making like a romantic comedy, like a, a romantic comedy. <laughs> And there's like a scene where they go to a wrestling match for some reason. Like the the guy that's like supposed to be like the pro wrestler would just be Buff Bagwell. He's like a big jacked tan guy who does a strut and cuts these promos like, yeah, Buff's got the stuff. I was gonna like, say Buff Bagwell he's is like the an main... over the top like he's like an over the top parody of what a professional wrestler like stereotypically is. I was gonna say Buff Bagwell is the main character in the rom com that is about professional wrestling. He. In the rom-com about professional wrestling, he is the, like, jacked-up top guy who the girl is originally dating before being won over. Yes. uh, Yeah, yeah, that's his character. (laughs) By being won over by the, like, you know, kind of nerdy, like, upstart pro wrestler who steals her heart. You know what I mean? Like, and then she realized that it's not about, uh, you know, it's not about, you know, who goes over. It's about uh, who who is who's winning in the uh, the game of love. You know, it's not about who's going over in life, or it's, it's not about it's not about who's going over in the ring. It's about who's going over in your heart. That's what it's called. You just you just wrote a movie, I think. Honestly, there have been the worse is, movies made. The movie the movie is called Hope Spot. That's the name of the movie. Hope Spot. Why do you workshop that one? So yeah, uh, but. I just have never understood Buff Bagwell, and I never will. Um, so next up, we have, I'd say, probably the best match on the show. And I think you can kind of see it coming when you see the two names in there. It is Diamond Dallas Page versus Chris Benoit in a no-disqualification match for Chris Benoit's U.S. title. DDP, member of the Jersey Triad by this point, is a heel. Cuts a promo where... Uh, he apologizes for talking sh- a very fake apology for talking shit about Benoit's mother and then implies that she works for a phone sex hotline because it's 1999 and those things existed back then. Um, Benoit attacks him right off the bell and uh, DDP ends t- I-, I could not get over this when I watched it because I didn't really notice this part of the layout of the uh you know, the road wild set in the ringside area before. So the, there's the ring and then there's this kind of, you know, the, there's like the ringside area. And then there is like another little drop to like, kind of like where the crowd is and like where the barricade is. So there's the ring on one level. There is the ringside area on the lo- like below that, obviously. And then there's another lower level. That's maybe about a foot, foot and a half below that that ringside area, if that makes sense. Um, So Benoit hits him with a baseball slide dropkick. DDP kind of goes to the floor, like down next to the barricade. And Benoit tries to like jump off like this little foot perch onto DDP. And it just looks like the lamest thing. It's like he's like doing this little hop, like right into DDP's arms. And DDP (laughs) just catches him and throws him into the barricade. It like... I, I, if you understand what I'm like, if, I'm, if you understand what I'm trying to depict right here, it looks ridiculous. 
<laughs> it's just like he kind of just like very lightly hops into DDP's arms. <laughs> and uh, DDP just grabs him, throws him into the barricade, and DDP proceeds to get the heat for a long time. Hits a bunch of moves, hits a big like gut wrench into a gut buster, a huge spine buster that looked great. And I... Yeah, I love Tony Schiavone, but I hated him in this moment because EDP hits this really good, like, double-A spinebuster. Oh, yeah. Uh, Schiavone calls it a big sidewalk slam spinebuster type maneuver. And it's like, it's literally just a spinebuster, Tony. <laughs> like, you've seen a billion spinebusters. This is literally just a spinebuster. That was his Michael Cole moment. It was very Michael Cole, and I did not <laughs> expect it from Tony, but he gave us a real Michael Cole moment. Um, hits a sidewalk slam, takes out a belt, starts whipping him with the belt, because, it's again, it's no disqualification. Um, he, like, picks him up on his back and is like hanging him with the belt over his like kind of over his shoulder oh god yeah um but benoit not a great look yeah not, not a great look in uh retrospect but then benoit slips out gets the belt away from him starts going to town on him um really goes after him heavy hits three straight bridging german suplexes for a near fall this is where the match gets kind of weird for me so we get the rest of the jersey triad runs in to help ddp uh, canyon runs in um as Benoit's going up for the diving headbutt, um, pushes him off the top rope, um, and the DDP catches him into an Uranagi to a big near fall. Um, and Bigelow runs in and he attacks him, so it's three on one. So it's, it's again, it's three on one. It's the entire Jersey triad beating down Benoit. And they keep cutting backstage to Benoit's friends, Perry Saturn, Shane Douglas, Dean Malenko, watching backstage on the monitor cheering on Benoit and it's three on one and they're not doing shit like their buddies getting triple teamed and nothing they're just standing there like come on Chris you can but, do it but they were watching TV normally <laughs> they I, were watching a TV monitor like people watch them yes I agree with you that 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 is nice to see but it's also like what the fuck are you doing like go help your friend he's getting beaten up three on one like i i, I don't understand why they don't go and help like it's there's they're sitting they're sitting there cheering him on and not doing anything about it uh bam bam goes up hits him with a big diving splash but benoit kicks out and then benoit fights out takes everybody out and he hits Honestly, one of the most gorgeous-looking diving headbutts of his career to get the pin. And Benoit, despite going one-on-three, gets the pin and wins the match and retains his title in 12 minutes and 14 seconds. He didn't get any help from his friends, but it turns out he didn't need it. But still, <laughs> I bet it would have been nice. It's not It's not the what, – what's the saying? Like, it's the friends you made along the way? Yes. The re- Isn't he, that the- – Apparently made no friends along the way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but Yeah, this was – Go ahead, Jake. Sorry. Uh, This was the typical, like, best match of the undercard type match, if that makes any sense. Like, you didn't need to stay undercard afterwards. You could have just said the best match. Well, yeah, but, like, it's it's one of those things where on any other card, this is probably everybody's like, oh, yeah, that match was fine. And here everybody's like, oh, man, thank God we had a, a good match there. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, the end of it kind of like ruin- honestly, the end ruins the match for me because he just gets too convoluted, too crazy, and 
Benoit is a guy you don't need to put over super hard, and you don't have to make three guys, including DDP, look like a bunch of jabrones, including, yeah. including the comedy bit of Bam Bam getting hit and then falling on DDP's groin, and then Benoit being exhausted, falling on Bam Bam's groin, just fell out of place. I will say for a no DQ match, I appreciate the fact outside of the belt spot, there really wasn't anything like egregious. It was just kind of more of a brawling, ugly kind of fight. Uh, again, the, the the belt usage is just a little bit disconcerting and hard to watch. But man, that Spinebuster though, that Spinebuster was just a work of art. Yeah, it was great. I mean this this is a a, a solidly worked match. It's pretty good. Um, and yeah, the one thing that really you know turns me off is the ending. Again, I mean, like it's one thing if you have. You know, Benoit going one on three uh, to to win the match. I mean, you know, I I, I think it's fine. I, I I have no problem putting a guy like Benoit over like that. But um, the fact that you keep cutting backstage to Benoit's friends watching TV and not helping him, it's like, what does that really do? Like, what is the point of that? Unless you're trying to then, like, friends. yeah. Unless you're gonna do like. Oh, he has friends, and they're rooting for him. They're really cheering him on, but like they're not going to actually stick their necks out and do something for him. Well, that doesn't make them look good, unless you're going to do something like, you know, last week we talked about the angle with the giant where he was pissed off at the other NWO guys for not helping him during the match. You know, unless you're going to set something else like that up, then that makes sense. But it's like, why? Why show them? It just kind of makes. The baby faces look like either chumps or assholes. There was a yeah. there was a moment that I think they said that they promised Benoit they would not go out there and interfere. But like, come on. If you can go out there and just get the <sighs> two jamokes that are interfering in the match already, and I'm sure Benoit's not gonna be like, I can't believe you guys interfered when I was three on one, I had it under control. Like I I, I don't think that's how it works. Yeah. Uh, I I just like come on guys, like you know, your, your buddy's getting beaten down three on one. Go, just go out there. You know, just let's, let's clear this out. Let's, let's make this, uh, let's make this fair. But they know Benoit wins anyway. So, hey, you know, it's all right, I guess. Uh, next up, we have this little, uh, there's really not much to the show outside of matches. I mean, there's really no promos, which is kind of crazy. Um, but we do have this one segment. Where they have some guy from the WCW website, some Italian man, seems like an Italian type individual. Um, he is giving out, I guess they had a giveaway thing, sweepstakes type deal for a WCW Road Wild customized motorcycle. Um, where, and so they have like the classic, like, you know, kind of spinny thing that has the envelopes in it. And he's going to take out one of the envelopes and they're going to open it up and reveal the person who rode in and won the motorcycle. And it just is all so freaking awkward <laughs> because like at first he can't open the thing. And then like, you know, whatever the, the lovely ladies from the motorcycle company, like, you know, ends up finally opening it and taking it out and giving him the envelope. And then I, I, this is one thing that like is really minor, but annoyed the shit out of me. He says the envelope, please. After she's yeah. already handed him the envelope, 
He's like, holding it. He's, he's holding, holding, holding it in your hand. He's already holding the fucking envelope. <laughs> Fuck off. But he's holding the envelope. And then he, he doesn't even open the envelope. He gives the envelope to the president of this motorcycle company. And the winner is Darnell Potter of Cleveland, Ohio. I need to talk to Darnell. I, I, need, I I've never I, needed anything more in my life than to speak to Darnell. I'll be yeah. honest. I spent five minutes trying to see if I could find the price of the motorcycle online. I couldn't find anything. Yeah, like, like, I, like does, does he still have it? Has he sold it? I don't know. I could not find anything on it. Yeah, I, I, I honestly did. I did some research on this myself. And by research, I mean, I went through like, I don't know, like two pages of Google results. But I mean, there's there's nothing on uh, Darnell Potter in Cleveland with WCW motorcycle. Like the only references to it ever are from people like recapping Road Wild 1999. So who knows? I hope that Darnell still has the motorcycle. And I hope that uh, he's been having a great time with it. So I that's all you can say. Um so next up, uh, it is Sting versus the Millennium Man, Sid Vicious. Oh, Jesus. Uh, <laughs> because no. as we all know, this Millennium right here was absolutely Sid's Millennium. Um, so yeah, Sting versus Sid. Uh, Sting starts super hot in this match. It's a couple Stinger splashes right within the first minute of the match. They fight, you know, in the crowd. Sting goes for a splash off the, uh, like a running splash. Misses. Sid takes over. Uh, hits a bunch of power moves. It's power slam. Drops him throat first on the barricade. Uh, Sting uh, fires back. They do this weird. I was trying to figure out what this was where he, like, kind of fell down and, like, headbutted his nuts, like Sid's nuts, and then was, like, kind of selling like he was knocked out for a second. And I just got back up. I was like, "What? what is this move that you're doing here, Sting? Um, <laughs> Sting does the gorilla press slam on Sid, which is pretty impressive because Sid's a huge guy. Um, goes for a stinger splash, but Sid gets the knees up. Um, Sting superplex, stinger splash, hits another stinger splash, goes for a third one, but Sid catches him into the choke slam, and Sid gets the pin and wins the match clean as a whistle. On Sting, 10 minutes and 40 seconds. I will say this. They told a story. Did I like the story they were telling? No. Uh, what story did they tell, Angelo? They told the story of Sid Vicious being such a monster that not even a guy like Sting had the offense to really rattle him. They put, I mean, they put Sid okay. over so hard. And, you know, I'm not sure who was asking for Sid going over, but, you know, that was... Uh, what the company had decided, the st- crowd was hot for Sting, so why not put this guy over and get him some heat? Because we all know that worked out really well. But there's a moment in this match, and it's pretty early on, where Sid has uh, Sting in the ropes, and he's kind of like doing a camel clutch through the ropes on him, and you just hear Sid grunt over and over again. And I just, you can hear it clearly, it sounds very weird, and it's just a complete laughable moment of Sid just grunting into the camera. Yeah, there is no way you could have made me care about this. Like, even with Sting. Even with Sting. Even no, with Sting. couldn't care about it. Could not care about it. Yeah, it's, it had it's, Sid in it. It's yep, not great. That's fair. I, 
I just I couldn't get over the concept of like the Millennium Man Sid. <laughs> yeah, because it's like a because I mean the the con like the Millennium Man character was like you know it's 1999, the new Millennium's coming up and it's gonna be Sid's Millennium. Sid is gonna dominate this Millennium. Well, it's like a he's already like 40 years old by this point, and b like you know and we didn't know this at the time. But it, like his career basically ended the instant the twenty the twenty first century started. He probably yeah. had like what like five matches in the twenty first century. Like he was done like immediately. Um. So yeah, it's 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 fun for me. I enjoyed that a lot. Obviously, again, we that's that's in retrospect. We don't know that at the time, but yes, as we, we all know. I mean, we kind of like we did, like we did know, but like. I guess nobody else did. <laughs> like, but, but guys, like in hindsight, you knew. But guys, you're telling me that when we had the Super Brawl 2000 between Sid Vicious, Scott Hall, and Jeff Jarrett, that wasn't just an instant classic that we all remember fondly and we're thankful to watch on this podcast. Couldn't tell you anything that happened in that match. <laughs> I Neither watched that I. not. I watched that, and we watched that not that long ago. <laughs> no I idea. Don't remember that match at all. But I will say this. Um, first week of the year 2000, uh, Sid had a series. And I'm looking at his like match record now. Like Literally the first week of the year 2000, he had a series of house show matches with Bret Hart. And those matches at the time were probably among the best wrestling matches of the millennium. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> like, 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 yeah, you know, and that is directly a result of Sid's extra time in the gym and how hard he wanted to work. I want to, I want to go back and find like the first wrestling show that happened like in the year 2000. And, and then just see like, you know, it was probably the best, like that match was probably the best match of the millennium. But we'll yeah. see. Uh, I, I'm gonna. I'm probably gonna do that later. I'm sure you will. Um, <laughs> so next up, we have a match between. Uh, this is a very cursed Rick Steiner taking on Goldberg. This is my lead. I'm a big Rick Steiner guy, um, and this form of Rick Steiner, like late period WCW leather daddy Rick Steiner. <laughs> oh God! Hate, hate it despise it um but it is uh goldberg and rick steiner rick steiner is the tv champion at the time but this is a non-title match goldberg comes out he to this point really seems like the only guy to really be over at a good level with this crowd to this point of the show um these two guys just don't really seem in sync at all early on, but then Rick Steiner takes this match over. He kicks him in the nuts. And I did get a big kick out of this. So Rick Steiner then I kicks Goldberg in the nuts to take over. He then rips Goldberg's knee brace off this and puts me. it around his arm like a fucking gauntlet and starts attacking him with the knee brace wrapped around his arm as a weapon. He's like geared up like a Mad Max villain. And the Infinity Gauntlet. Down, yeah, with the Infinity Gauntlet that he has on his arm. And 
just hits him with this brace a bunch of times. I thought that was really creative, like putting the brace around your arm and using it as a weapon. I actually loved that. Um, he so he, he gets a lot of offense. It's a short match, but a lot of it is Steiner uh, beating him up with the brace. It's a DDT for his one like near fall. Goldberg gets his comeback, hits the gorilla press into the power slam, spear, jackhammer, ball game. Goldberg wins, as usual, five minutes, 39 seconds. Yay, Rick Steiner. Hey, have you guys heard about this guy that looks just like Rick Steiner? I was going to make this joke. Screw you, Jake. Yeah, Screw you. Have you guys heard about this guy that looks just like him and like dresses like him and wrestles like him? I think you're talking about Braun Breaker. Yeah. Yeah, no relation whatsoever to the Steiners. You know, even despite the fact that his whole gimmick, like David said, is I'm Rick Steiner. Yes. His whole fucking gimmick <laughs> is I'm a Steiner. Like, <laughs> fuck you. Fuck you. Shut the fuck up. Uh, who's, the, who's, who, who's the lead NXT commentator now? Wade Barrett uh, and uh, Vic, Vic, Joseph. Vic Joseph. Vic Joseph did make a dog-faced gremlin reference. Yes, which I appreciated because you knew that, like, they had been told by whoever. Like, do not mention that he is Rick Steiner's son. Like, you're not allowed to mention that he's... Is he Rick or Scott's son, actually? He, he is Rick's, Rick's son. son right? He is Rick's yeah. son. Also, I, I thought he was Rick's. Yeah, he, he is Rick's son. Um, he looks like Rick, talks like Scott. Yes. I mean, and that's the one thing. Like, I completely understand if it's a thing where, you know, hey, he's, he's Rick Steiner's son. You know, he is, you know, starting his own wrestling career and maybe he wants to, you know, kind of break away from his parents, his, his dad, his <laughs> uncle's image and do his own thing and be his own man. Right. I completely understand that. But when you then do that, when you start your own gimmick or you start your own career, but then your gimmick is literally I'm a fucking Steiner. Just call him, you know, Rex Steiner or whatever his name was going to be. Like, what the fuck? Because he literally, like, he looks like Rick. He sounds exactly like Scott. He's doing the same gimmick. His his promos sound exactly like Scott Steiner promos. And he's wearing, like, the colorful singlet. Like and everyone is here for it. I have not seen, other than the name, I have not yeah. seen anyone say that this guy should not be pushed to the moon. Because the guy looks great. He was fantastic in his first match. And, you know, I, he got me excited about NXT again, which, you know. Yes. Through, through two weeks, the, the fucking Rex Steiner experience, I'm loving it. I think he's great. I think he's going to be awesome. Like, if he had, if he just didn't have that stupid fucking name, I would be like buying merch now. God, the Ron merch. Ron The merch is going to be so dumb, too. I feel, and I told David this last week, besides the fact that, you know, the, the, for whatever reason, the Steiners are a banned topic on WWE programming for whatever knows reason. I don't think they're canceled or anything. I mean, I know Scott's had some wild promos, but I don't think he said anything that's, you know, going to have his head on a pike or anything. But, so, I don't know. So, after, like, I will say this. After the. Uh, you know, the fracas about the plane ride from hell, Ooh, true. Uh, dark side of the ring episode, there were, you know, and all that shit that happened and, you know, like Flair got canceled and Tommy Dreamer got canceled and everyone was talking about all these guys. There were, I did see a lot of people talking about like, hey, remember the story about how the Steiner brothers used to like violently haze people and like stick stuff up people's assholes? Ah, that sounds. Mm. So I don't know about that. Maybe. But 
Yeah, he he feels marketed kids, and it goes to show you that Bron. I would love to have any match in this card with Braun Breaker. Yes, just I, I listen. I I've been yelled about it because I'm a huge Steiner Mark, and I care about this because I'm a child. But uh, you know, like. I'm not, you know, I, I'm not exactly making a hot take. Like, I, like almost everybody agrees with me, but still, it's just something that particularly grinds my gears. Uh, and yeah, I mean, we have his dad in this match. Match itself is all right, you know. It's it's a Goldberg match, you know. It's it's five minutes. Goldberg's gonna hit his few moves. We didn't even we didn't even talk about Goldberg. <laughs> no, we didn't talk about Goldberg. I mean, Goldberg hits his moves. He hits the power slam. Hits the spear. Hits the jackhammer. You know, it's 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 a Goldberg match. It's five minutes. It's good for what it is. And uh, I appreciated the, you know, because a lot of Goldberg's matches were the same, where he's like, he starts hot, and then the, the other guy gets some heat for a while, and then Goldberg comes back and overpowers him and kills him. I did appreciate the fact that they did something unique with that by having uh, Rick Steiner use his... Uh, uh, knee knee brace as a weapon. I thought that was kind of neat, and I enjoyed watching that. Even despite the fact that the ref was like staring at him while he did it. Well, I mean, I I can't say that bothered me just because, like, at a certain point, like around 1999 or so, WCW refs stopped enforcing the rules entirely. Like, they would never say that it was like a like a. Like, like sometimes, like like the Benoit match was a no disqualification match. Yeah, but like even the ones that weren't no disqualification matches, like people would just use weapons and then nothing would happen. And then this next match, I mean, fuck, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a complete fucking disaster. <laughs> we could skip this but, next match, you know. But like all of like, there's nine hundred thousand things that should disqualify you from a match in this next match, and like nothing happened. <laughs> just do the match, but we can we can get to it if you guys want. It is our coming. No, event. I don't want. Okay. I don't want. <laughs> We're gonna fucking talk about it, Angelo. Uh, it's our co-main event of the evening. It is the Macho Man, Randy Savage, who's really starting to look like he did in the movie Spider Man. He's really <laughs> progressing. Already. He's really because <laughs> I've got you for three minutes. Three minutes of playtime. Yeah, he's really starting to look like Bonesaw by this point. Um, and he is taking on none other than future basketball Hall of Famer and Chicago Bulls legend Dennis Rodman, uh, who was involved in WCW relatively frequently throughout a lot of the late 90s and uh, would like apparently like just like during the season, just like leave and like skip practice to go wrestle at WCW shows, knowing that he's Dennis Robin and no one's going to do it. Like Phil Jackson's not going to do shit about it, uh, which is <laughs> such a baller move, honestly. Um, so it's Rodman and Macho Man. Rodman is the babyface here. He, Rodman gets a big reaction from the crowd, swaggers out to the ring wearing this fancy kind of like boxing style robe, um, gets on the mic. He says, where my bitch at? Where's she at? And Macho Man says, uh, referring to Macho Man's uh, like kind of valet on-screen girlfriend at the time, Gorgeous George. And Macho Man says, tonight 
you're my bitch, and everyone else can fight for sloppy seconds. Ooh, yeah. This is not really a wrestling match. It's basically just a brawl. Um, <laughs> I, I love how like obvious it is. Like in three minutes, Rodman's blown up, um, <laughs> like really blown up. Um, Rodman does hit him with some moves early on in this match. Some of the big clothesline, an elbow drop, hits a Russian leg sweep, and then he decides he wants to beat up the ref. He's mad at the ref for some reason, and then he throws the ref to the ground. Elbow drops him. We get a, a new ref in. Savage ends up taking the upper hand. He beats up one of the cameramen and takes his camera, uses it to, to use it as a weapon, then beats up the other ref. A third ref comes in. <laughs> Savage takes out the third referee, and then Rodman backdrops him out, and then they start fighting all around everywhere. They brawl on the outside, up the ramp, with all these shirtless, sweaty biker weirdos staring at him, throwing each other into the barricade. A fourth ref shows up at one point um, as they kind of get fight up the ramp, kind of into not really the backstage area, but sort of like a, off to the side um, where they're, they're throwing each other into the trash. At one point, Savage throws Rodman into a porta potty, closes the door, and tips the porta potty over. Big pop from me on that one. Um, and then at some point, the fourth referee gets taken out. It's like you, they literally can't have any more refs backstage. Like, they got to do something here. <laughs> there, there, there's going to be a workplace still, violence there, claim there, here soon. Like yeah. there's still a main event to go on. Who's going to referee that? You're not going to have the same guy referee a match two matches in a row. That's too much. This whole match is a serious OSHA violation. <laughs> uh, but eventually, Gorgeous George comes out. She gives Macho Man a chain. And then boots Rodman in the nuts. Macho Man wraps the chain around his hand. Eventually, I don't know if there was a fifth ref who came in or if it was one of the other refs who was revived eventually. He gets in the ring, so now we have a ref again. Macho Man punches him in the face with a chain like right in front of the referee. Uh, but there's no call. And then uh, Savage gets the pin and wins the match in 11 minutes and 30 seconds. Hmm. <laughs> where to I don't even know where to start. I don't even know where to start. Exactly. Like, what are your thoughts, Jacob? Um, this was terrible. <laughs> like, but like, but so like, we we always bitch about like how boring and terrible some of these shows were. I'll tell you what, I was entertained the whole time. <laughs> I was just cackling watching Dennis Rodman like, like beat up people, like like assault the refs. And then Savage doing it, I just, I, I loved it. I loved every second of this for all of the wrong reasons. <laughs> um, this is the type of thing that I'm, I'm here in the late 90s in WCW for. This is like watching a car crash and you just can't look away. By the way, his hand was under the ropes. So let's just go ahead and acknowledge the fact that this match should have went longer because his hand was under the ropes. Thank God it didn't though. I will be honest, David. You said you love the porta potty spot. I kind of got nauseous at it, just like, <laughs> it's so gross. Uh, and like you see, it start to leak and things start falling out of it. I'm assuming it is just like the toilet paper and not like fecal matter, but it's still just so nasty. Uh, and like the point of the attacking the refs, why are we attacking the refs? What's the point of this? There is no reason for it. You're not going to want, it's so stupid. The only, the only 
positive thing about this match is that got me thinking about imagine if Draymond Green was in AEW. <laughs> they, that I mean that could happen. I think it could absolutely. We got Shaq wrestled a match. That's true. We did Shaq get Shaq wrestled an actual match, and you know what the worst part is? It was fine. <laughs> he took a he took a what? He, he took, took a table like, bump. Uh, yeah, he took a. Was it like a? It was like a. He, he was on the apron. He fell back. It was like a sunset flip power bomb, right? Something like that. Uh, I think he just kind of fell or backwards onto get, it. Did he get like drop kicked through the table? He took a he, he took a table bump. Yeah, he, he got crossed by it through the table. That was when allegedly, was. allegedly, like, uh, he was only convinced to do that spot because QT Marshall lied to him and told him there was going to be a crash pad under the table, <laughs> and then there wasn't a crash pad, and he went through the table. Which, like, if I'm Shaq, I'm fucking pissed off, and I'm never doing this again. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, we got Shaq. I mean, hell. Apparently, we're getting all these UFC guys. They're going to do stuff. Junior Dos Santos is apparently hitting blast doubles on Tony Khan now. Uh, so, um, yeah, I mean, it's cool. I mean, Dennis Rodman was a guy that, like, you know, he was in WCW quite a bit. He was a guy that was always kind of seen as a star. I mean, you know, it's, you know, hard to really quantify how big, like, the 90s bowls were. Like, they were huge. And, like, Rodman was, like, a huge celebrity because of it. And he was a guy that was in there to do shit, you know? He's, it's not like he's a, a worker and he's going to go out there and have a great match or anything. But, uh, you know, he's going to go out there and do shit and just have a good time. Fuck it, man. Cool. So Skipping practice at the same time. Hell yeah. And that's, again, such a baller move to just, like, Skip practice and tell Phil Jackson. <laughs> Phil Jackson was eleven NBA championships. Say, hey man, I'm gonna go. Uh, I'm gonna go wrestle Macho Man Randy Savage. I'm not gonna be at practice tomorrow. You're no, Phil Jackson do. was probably like, bro, that's sick. <laughs> You're not gonna do shit about it because I'm averaging 38 rebounds a game <laughs> and seven and a half points. <laughs> yeah. So main event time. It is, again, the loser must retire, and I'm sure they're going to honor this stipulation. Uh, it is Hulk Hogan, and this is, you know, again, he's booked, he is being billed as Hulk Hogan, not Hollywood Hogan. This is full red and yellow Hulkamania Hulkster taking on uh, Kevin Nash, who's working as the heel, NWO Wolfpack entrance, uh, my favorite theme song of all time. And again, loser must retire, and it's not much of a match, to be honest with you. <laughs> it's it's a it's a Hogan match. Um, it's these two big boys, and they're staring at each other. They're flexing. They lock up. Hogan hits a back suplex, and Nash powders out of the ring, and Hogan's jawing at him. They get back in there. They do the test of strength. Nash wins the test of strength, and then slowly starts beating them down around the ring. Hogan comes back, uh, punches him a lot, very slowly. And then Nash takes back over, starts beating him up again, very slowly. Uh, hits a sidewalk slam, beats him up on the outside, throws him into some stuff, hits a big boot. It's time for Kevin Nash to win this fucking match, baby. Hits the jackknife powerbomb. It's all over. Hogan kicks out of his finisher. What? Not me. Hulk Hogan. Hulk Hogan. <laughs> Kicks out of the finisher, and he immediately hulks up, brother. He just no-sells it completely. He starts hulking up, and three punches, big boot, 
Leg drop, ball game. Hulk Hogan wins the match. Hulkamania lives again, brother. Hogan must pose. Much love, brother. HH, 12 minutes and 16 seconds. <laughs> that was more embarrassing than the finger poke of doom. Yeah. Just, it's like, I don't know. Like, I, I, I can only imagine what it must have been to be a fan at this time because it's like, the reason, one of the reasons why NWO Hollywood Hogan was such a big deal and was so over was because people had seen this Hogan, red and yellow, white meat baby face, hulks up at the end of matches, big boot, leg drop, ball game, you know, Hogan must pose. For so long, people were fucking sick of it. And it's like now, you know, he gives us this completely new, like completely cool character that's so different. And now it's 1999. On the other show, you got Stone Cold Steve Austin feuding with Vince. And then we're back to this. We're back to red and yellow Hulkster, flex, pose, big boot, leg drop, one, two, three. I can only imagine how fucking annoying that was. So why did he, oh. so was there a in kayfabe reason why he went face? Or was it just because no. Hogan wants to go face? That was literally it. There was no, there was no reason. And they never explained it either. Oh, cool. Like, so it's like, not so it's not just like, oh, this is because I'm not getting the full experience of 1999 WCW. This was just a full-blown of, oh, yeah, no, I just want to do this now. Yeah, no, there was no reason. It was like Nash turned heel, and that was kind of through food away. And then, like, the next day they were just like, yep, Hogan's a face. Yeah, because it was – and it was this was, like, one of the peak times of, like – like the NWO is happening and like, they've got all this weird inter NWO feuds and shit gets really confusing. Like it was Hogan's NWO and then the NWO Wolfpack were the baby faces. And that was a really hot feud in like 98. And then you get the figure poke of doom. They all reunite into one NWO and then Nash turns on Hogan and then Hogan like just kind of decides now I'm a baby face and I'm Hulk Hogan again. Stupid. And I'm just going to be the red and, red and yellow Hulkster again. Yep. So uh, when Nash comes out, I actually think he looks like he's hobbling already. So I'm surprised when he doesn't look like utter crap. Granted, he's not doing much, but he doesn't look like shit in the ring. Uh, but you can't put two washed guys in the ring together. Hogan at this point, washed. Nash at this point, washed. It just never leads to anything good. The only saving grace, and it's not even a saving grace because the match is still bad, is that the crowd still treats it as a big deal. Like, it's still Hogan and Nash in the ring together in a what is a real match, a no-finger poke of doom. And we saw, like, you don't need to hit a bunch of big moves for a match to be good. It just matters with, like, the fan buy-in. I think the fans were bought in a little bit. But the fact that this match, you suck all the air out because, yeah, Nash is dominating the entire match. It's not a lot of offense from Hogan. And then he hits the jackknife powerbomb. Like, I honestly think that finish to the match would have been better than what happened where... Hogan just hulks up, three punches, big boot, leg drop. Like, that's it. That was mo- that was about 90% of the offense that Hogan had in the entire match. He sells for most of it. And it's just stupid. It makes Nash look like a dope. It looks Hogan look unrealistic. It's just bad. But, Angelo, you're forgetting the part where they looked like doofs anyway. I mean, they again, like I said... It's not a good match. The only thing good about it is that it's Kevin Nash and Hulk Hogan, and they still have that air about them. 
See, I don't, I don't think it. I don't think Ed Hogan in '98 did, but that's just me. Like, like, like you know, he's gonna come out. He's gonna do his shtick, and then it's gonna be like, but it's literally like it's 1987 again. Yeah, no, I, I agreed. It's still just like the nostalgia of Hulk Hogan loses its luster when you realize, oh, it's this again. Yeah, I, I just, I don't know, like. Again, as I was talking about, I, I just it's it's hard for me to like imagine what it would have been like being a fan at the time and like you've gotten this real like something completely different kind of cutting edge thing that you had with Hulk Hogan and his Hollywood character in the NWO. And then it's like, well, that's over. I'm going to go back to uh hulking up. Uh no selling finisher, hulk up, three punches, big boot, one two three, red and yellow pose, flex. Yawn. Yay. Like People were getting tired of that shit 10 years before. 10 years before. So, I don't know. I, I just can't can't wrap my head around how annoying that must have been uh, to be a smart asshole back then. God, I would have um, loved it. Yeah. Anyway. I mean, that, that's, that's the show. So, we might as well just run into our two and a half marks. Angelo, start it off. Sure, I'm going to go with a negative half mark, and it's going to go towards the commentary team. Like, I don't think at any point in this match do they ever help any of these matches. And, you know, yes, the matches weren't good. But I don't think they were – the commentary team did not help make it good at all either. They come off as kind of like goofs. Shivani's kind of messing up. The Brain has a couple of good quips here and there. Janae has some moments of, like, you know, providing that legitimacy that Excalibur does nowadays. (laughs) But, like, you get to this main event, and yeah, it's not good, but Hogan kicks out of a jackknife powerbomb, and they just kind of run through it. They don't really make it a moment. They just kind of, like, they're talking about something else, it happens, and then they talk about it five seconds later. And it just didn't lead to a good presentation. I just think that this, we've had good WCW commentary booths, we've had good calls, this was just not one of them. I think through up and down the card... They just didn't do a great job on commentary, and that's how I think you see that theme more and more as WCW starts to die. My negative one mark is going to refs because, again, like we've talked about throughout <laughs> the episode, is that the refs are just there to count three. They don't do anything else. They don't call DQs. They don't enforce the rules. They don't make sure tags are happening. They don't make sure the heel team is not just randomly in the ring for whatever reason. They don't make sure the outside interference guy is running interference. It's just a joke. It's a mess. It's awful. They make the refs look so incompetent. And yeah, that's kind of like the inside joke with like the wrestling officials that they are kind of jokes, but you still have to respect them. Like I think AEW toes the line pretty well of ref not seeing something and also ref has authority to throw people out of the match or enforce the rules. And this just is a joke. It makes your program look awful. It makes your company look weak. And it just was a theme throughout almost every match. I will say I will end on a positive two marks here. It's going to outdoor wrestling. I just think the scenery is still just so unique and cool. Yeah, we're at Sturgis. Yeah, it's kind of it's a a certain type of crowd, but like it's kind of cool to see them outside wrestling. You see the sky, you see some of the backdrop. I think the stage is really cool. It reminds me a lot of like watching uh, tribute to the troops on Christmas Day, 
where they're in uh like Afghanistan or Iraq and they have like this match this ring set up you have a bunch of soldiers around them and it's like a really cool kind of theme that I like the way they presented it and I think that outdoor wrestling while yeah it gets really hot and can be more difficult to do because again you're factoring in nature but it's just a very unique backdrop to a wrestling match and I will always appreciate that sure Jacob so Angelo uh, ended with his positive marks to, to daytime outdoor wrestling. I'm going to start with my negative half mark for during the day pay-per-views because I hated it. I didn't think it looked cool at all. Um, I thought it looked miserable for the performers. Um, yeah, so no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a big no on that, dog. I, I um, hate watching pay-per-views during the daytime. Remember when we watched Crown Jewel at your house at like I, noon? <laughs> I absolutely <laughs> do. Like David was like David showed up at like ten forty-five, and like we had probably gone somewhere the night before, and we were both just like, yeah. like like crashed out on the couch, like watching this shitty pay-per-view. It was terrible. Um, I still think that it was cool that I was outside. There was some sunlight. <laughs> Angelo, you're allowed to think things are cool. Uh, I'm giving one mark to something that we've already discussed, but I just think it w- I thought it was super f- like funny that it was done. But using the referee's belt as a weapon, like, has anybody else ever done that before? Uh, it's it's definitely a unique thing. You don't see that very often. Like using the referee's belt specifically. Like I'm taking your belt away. <laughs> he just walked over. I think it was Charles Robinson, wasn't it? It was. He legit yeah. just he just took Charles Robinson's belt and was like, "Hey, bro, this is mine now." Like what? Thought hey, that was Charles, funny. I'm gonna need an assist right here. Yeah, I thought so. I thought that was pretty funny. Um, and then I'm giving negative two marks to something that we have not talked about at all tonight but I've talked about it before with WWE and how much I love their video packages. Negative two marks to every video package they showed because none of them helped. I didn't understand any feud going on better because of a promo package. As a matter of fact, I understood less and I was more confused by everything with every single promo package that they gave us or video package, whatever you want to call them. Yeah. Terrible. Terrible. Editing was bad. Video work was bad. Just... No, I would rather you just like let me guess, honestly. And honestly, the worst part about all of those video packages is they all had the same kind of like grainy, like sort of black yeah. and white filter on them. <laughs> yeah. Like it all looked like shit. So um, I'm going to give my half mark to porta potty spots. You know, Angelo was like freaking out about it, like, oh, that's so nasty. Guarantee to you. That porta potty was on its own over on the side. Guarantee to you that was not used a single time. I hope not so. Not a single I really person piss so. or shit in that porta potty the whole night. That thing was kept pristine for for Dennis Rodman to go into. And but even so, like the effect is the intended effect is created. Angelo is grossed out and he gets the willies, and that's what they were going for. Gets the willies. Uh, I certainly have the my, willies. I'm going to give my one mark to Darnell Potter because, hey, good for him. He had a big win on Saturday, and uh, I, I hope that he enjoys his – I hope that he enjoys his bike still to this day. Um, and I really have to wonder what the resale value would be right now on the WCW Road Wild Special Edition uh, – Iron Horse. Like, iron, was American Iron Horse Motorcycle. 
you could probably make some money off that. Oh, they absolutely. Have, yeah. Um, and I'm going to give my negative two. Mar- Angela already went over this a little bit, but no selling finishers in the main events. Like, just fuck off. Especially when it's a guy like Nash. You know what I mean? Like, the... You know, like, the... Both WWF and WCW have spent by this point like five, six years building up the Jackknife Powerbomb as a huge finisher. And then, like, Hogan just, like, you know, like, taking it, kicking out, and then just immediately no-selling it and hulking up, and then he just wins five seconds later. It makes every single other person who has ever been beaten by a Jackknife Powerbomb look like a chump. And it's not necessary. Finisher kickouts. I'm not someone who should who is against a finisher kickout by any means, but they should be earned and they should matter. And this does not. It just, no. no, that does not fit the the criteria for me for a finisher kickout that I'm okay with. Like imagine uh, Cody kicking out of the one winged angel. Yeah, like, no, sir, buddy. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. So, that will wrap up our coverage of WCW Road Wild 1999. That will bring us to our final order of business. We're going to spin the wheel and see what we're going to be watching next week on the Two and a Half Mark podcast while I bring this up and hit the randomizer. What do you guys want to see? I want Hmm. something with early Braun Breaker. I mean, Rick Steiner. Uh, I'm I'm still I'm still rooting for the '80s. I've been rooting for that for a while. Wow, we're getting something uh, not like that at all. This will probably be a pretty fun show to watch, though. Uh, we ended up getting NXT Takeover Phoenix from 2019, January of 2019. This is a most recent event, show, I think. Main events: uh, Tommaso Ciampa versus Aleister Black. Oh, I remember uh, that match. Yeah, it was a Johnny, great match. Johnny Gargano versus Ricochet. Matt Riddle, Cassius Ono, I remember that being a really good match. Undisputed yes. Air versus War Raiders, Bianca Belair, Shayna Baszler. This, uh, this I, I remember this card being really good. This yeah, might have been this the, is, one of the first takeovers I watched. Uh, yeah, I mean this is this is definitely one that like we were all watching wrestling by, again by this time, and I remember this being really good, and has some people on it that we haven't really seen or talked about on the show. Um. So yeah, this will probably be pretty fun. So cool. Uh, yeah, next week, NXT Takeover Phoenix from January of 2019. That yeah, next week's show here on the Two and a Half Marks podcast. So for my good friends Angelo and Lisa and Jake Long, my name is David Statman. Thanks everybody for listening.